Welcome to the See You Next Summer podcast. I am your host, Billy Pollahan, and with me, as always, is the Han to my Luke, or the Chewy to my Han, Mr. Raul Rodriguez, and we're joined by not one, but two very special guests. Raul? Hi, my name is Raul Rodriguez, and I have two very special guests here. One is with one of my friends from Mexico, Pablo Machado. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm Pablo. I'm the host of a podcast called Nerd Portraits, where I interview people in the pop culture sphere. And it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And also, I have my my other friend from Canada, my friend Mac. My Mac Croft, that's the way you pronounce it? Uh, yeah, that's actually pretty close. Nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, thanks for having me. This should be fun. Nice. Oh, for sure. And today we're talking the behemoth that is the Star Wars franchise, the very first movie. Yes. Because this throughout the year, we're going to be tackling all 11 theatrical Star Wars movies. And we want to spread them out because Star Wars is just this entity that exists onto itself. And... You know, I figured we should get guests for all of them. And what a way to start off with not one, but again, two guests. And they're both Star Wars fans, I believe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Like, it it worries me at times. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I think we all are devoted Star Wars fans. Especially, like, for example, like you, Billy. You know a lot of stuff about Star Wars. You know, even about the background characters, and I don't know that. Oh, yeah, like how Chewbacca is a Wookiee and all that stuff. <laughs> no, but you even know about the generals and random stormtrooper names and all of those things. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be fun. So we're just going to do our regular shtick where we'd recap the movie and then get into a long discussion. This is probably going to be the longest episode of the series. I don't think there's a way to avoid that. And, yeah, let's just start into it. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Immediately, this planet and its moon, the planet is Tatooine, we see the very first ship of Star Wars, the Tantive Four, which carries the Rebel Alliance, or a small band of rebels, including... Princess Leia, and they are being chased by a Star Destroyer. The placement of the shot where the Star Destroyer just keeps going and going and going, as a kid that was incredible, and I would love to see it on an IMAX screen. Yes! Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's like super massive. Mm-hmm. And it really shows like the scope of how huge space is, because the ship itself is huge. You're like, damn, that's beautiful. Yeah, no, I want to see that on IMAX screen for sure. I've seen it in a really huge screen, I think. I would say bigger than an IMAX screen. It's like an outdoor screen, and it looks amazing. 
I went to an outdoor screening last year uh, of the original trilogy, and it was extraordinary. Nice. I remember the feeling of seeing the, the those spaceships. Uh, I got to see uh, the original Star Wars and uh, multi-cinemas. Pablo knows. Oh, yeah, that's... Uh... I understood that reference. Yes, you understood that reference. Really small theaters, but they were powerful in sound. <laughs> they smelled like cigarettes, really strong. But seeing the those patients, I was like, huh, okay, this caught my attention. Because I was like, oh my God, I need to read. When I was reading that The Crawl, and I barely knew any English <laughs> when I was 10, when I started in 97. But the moment of seeing those, uh, those ships... It grabbed my attention, and when you see the entrance of Darth Vader, that's the thing that hooked me when I was a kid. They get boarded on by the Empire, and we see that clearly the Stormtroopers, in this instance, are better shots than the Rebels, and the Rebels get cut to ribbons. We also meet the first droids, which are, of course, the Oscar C-3PO and the trash can R2-D2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny how those are your first uh, your first actual characters to show up. There's a lot, of, and th and that's something that I love that gets uh, repeated throughout Star Wars. There's not a lot of people when the movies start. It takes you a while because everyone's covered in a mask or is a droid or stuff like that. And I really like how it's slowly revealing itself and giving context to the movie through these characters. That's a good way to put it. That's actually a that's a good point. I mean, we get people, but not major characters that are people. I mean, until Vader comes in and that epic entrance music, and you're like this tall dude in black with the heavy breathing. I don't think anybody forgot mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Oh, no. And it perfectly sets it up uh, how the, the walls are white, the stormtroopers are white, and this presence, you know Vader is something else. And yeah, I, I had nightmares with Darth Vader when I was a kid. Really? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Oh my god, he used to scare me. Nothing like Chucky, though. Chucky, oh no, let's not get into that. Oh, I love Chucky. Oh, that's the, the thing that scared the crap out of me when I was a kid was the, the tree from Poltergeist. And the pool with full of cadavers in Poltergeist. That scared the crap out of me when I was a little. <laughs> yeah, but nothing scared the rebels like Darth Vader. Before or after he choked the guy to death. I mean, he is holding this one rebel soldier up by his throat. And Darth Vader is a tall guy. He's much taller than the stormtroopers. So you can only imagine how much that hurt. Yeah, I don't know why I have this fact in my head, but two meters and three centimeters is the height of Darth Vader. I don't know what that is in feet. I'm sorry. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> two meters. Yeah, Anakin, Anakin is like 183, and Darth Vader is like 202, 203. If I remember my high school conversions, I think it's so seven feet, I think. That's two meters and three. Yeah, I think it's like seven feet. Must be the robot legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he actually gets taller with those robot legs. Maybe. Yeah, so immediately the thing that you notice is his voice. And he's voiced by the legendary James Earl Jones, Mufasa from Lion King for me. And I just never put it together 
until much later that, oh yeah, Mufasa is also Darth Vader. He has a very deep, intimidating baritone. He doesn't have much character in this movie, but he just has this evil presence with him. CNN. What about you guys? What do you think, Mac? Um, he's very, very iconic. I like his voice more than what the, um, I forget the actor's name. He recently... Uh, David Prowse? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, I think it would have sounded a little odd with that voice. Um, I mean, you can't go wrong with James Earl Jones with, with anything. Um, I think I actually used to have, like, a Halloween costume of the New Hope. Darth Vader, and like, I mean, that costume is basically childhood. Yeah, and it says a lot about uh, James Earl Jones's range to go from Mufasa, such a, or actually go from Darth Vader, such an evil presence and such an int- intimidating voice, and then have like Mufasa, who's such a, like a mentor and like a calm voice and a wise lion, and he's great. He's really, really great. Yes, and then we cut to, I mean, this is during the battle where Princess Leia, we don't know if she's Princess Leia, but she puts the plans to the Death Star inside R2, and 3PO finds him, and then they go to an escape pod and jettison themselves out of there. And it was really hard for me just not to quote this entire movie and not think of the Family Guy opening. Where the guy's just like, there goes another one. Hold your fire. Hold your fire? What, do we do it by the laser now? You don't do the budgetary, I do. <laughs> That's another factor that I think is great, is that this film is very easy to parody, and there are tons of parodies out there. Yes, yes. The um, the robot chicken ones, I used to watch like religiously, like more than the actual Star Wars movies. And every time they said a line from, like, a skit, I'm like, oh, that's a Robot Chicken parody. That's a Robot Chicken parody. My favorite skit is when Palpatine gets to know about the first Death Star blowing up. I was still paying it. I was still paying that bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Other parodies that I think the Phineas and Ferb one is so underrated. And I really really like it. Yeah, because it goes in a direction that most parodies don't often do they don't really follow the movie i mean they follow the basic outline of the movie but they don't do it beat for beat like ferb is darth maul yeah i i just think it's like out of the blue that phineas and ferb came up with a compelling parody of star wars i never saw that crossover happening and now i love it are they are they parodying like a certain episode or is it just like everything it's like a toy box of Star Wars stuff. I think it's episode four, and they like follow the events of the movie. Oh, yeah, it's really good. Make sure to check it mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I had never seen Phineas and Fur, but I saw that special. And I'm like, this this is pretty cool. I kind of like got the gist really quickly. We see three PO and well, I see see three PO and R two. They crash onto Tatooine, which is a desert mostly the middle of buttfuck nowhere and <laughs> another note before i continue is that we've all seen star wars you've all seen star wars if anybody is listening so there's really no point in spoiling the movie <gasps> i mean it's it's one of the most watched movies of all time up there with the wizard of oz i don't really think that's a 
bad thing. Yeah, there's no spoiler warning. So we cannot say that Darth Vader is Luke's father. <gasps> spoiler. Not till the next episode. We didn't plan that ahead. <laughs> but that Luke has the hats for his sister. Hey, don't spoil the entire thing, but I meant like the general outline, you jerk. Oh, this got dark. I mean, if you're listening to a podcast about Star Wars and you haven't seen the movie, why? I'll put it in the disclaimer. It's no, it's no big deal. <laughs> but yeah, so 3PO also says the line that I think about all the time. We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. <laughs> Always the voice of reason, C-3PO. <laughs> He's a he's a whiny bitch, but he's not the whiny bitch. Oh and we also see that they they split up, and three PO comes across the skeleton of a crate dragon, mm-hmm. which we only just saw in the Mandalorian for the first time, and it's pretty cool. I didn't knew that. And me too. Wow. Oh my god! I just noticed that. I was just thinking they were doing a Dune thing. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'm up with some Dune. Oh my god, I'm just, I'm just Googling the picture, and yes, it is. Oh my god. Whoa. Damn you, Billy. That's a, that's a good reference. Oh, wait till we get to the cantina scene. I can I can name a lot of the species. Satan? Nice. Uh, Like the Ithorian, which is the big, like, the hammerhead creature. The one that has mouth on the Ooh. side. What is the species, the species of the guy that is vaping? Hmm. I have to look that up. I know I th- there's a lot of species. I mean, it's crazy. My my favorite is the the Twi'lex because of their big ears. Oh. You know, I don't think you see them in this movie. You don't get them till Return of the Jedi. That's Bib Fortuna. You know the 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 pink dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Like it's funny to talk about this movie. Because it sets up everything. It's the start of everything. And everything leads back to something in a new hope. And that's really interesting. Yeah, because it's the thing that started everything. Like, uh, for example, like, uh, going a little ahead when Obi-Wan's telling the story about the Jedi. It's technically the, the prequel trilogy in one in one minute. And it's going to be a lot longer when we cover it. Oh my god, yes. My god, <laughs> will it be long. And I hate you. <laughs> Because I, again, have to edit this myself. Yes. And it's going to take a while. You can do it. You got this. You can do it. Especially because Billy is so anxious when we get to The Last Jedi, my favorite one. Ugh. No, his favorite is his favorite is Rogue One, by the way. No, that's true. That's lies. Uh, I, I know he hates it. Thank I know you, Pablo. He hates it. Don't you mean lies? Deception. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> Man, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's any Star Wars that I... Okay, except Rise of Skywalker that I don't actually like. Yes, Pablo, yes! Way to, yeah. way to end on a on a high note with that Rise of Skywalker <laughs> mention. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, they get captured by little creatures in hoods known as Jawas. The little... Putini! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was better than the opening Wookiee. <laughs> oh, that was good. <laughs> I can do a pork too. Because you are a porg, by the way, baby. Yoda, yes, I am. Being a porg, greatest yes. one ever. No, cancel, yes. cancel, baby Yoda. His name is Grogu. You slime. Cancel Grogu. <laughs> okay. But yes, 
Gripio and R2 get captured by the Jawas, and then we see the inside of the Jawas ship or whatever. I don't know what it's called. My favorite's the Gonk droid, which is just the one that goes Gonk, Gonk. I love that guy. Yeah, and the, like the trash cans, they look kind of like trash cans that they can walk to. That That's the Gonk droid. Oh, thank you. And we cut to the first home of Star Wars, Owen and Brew's moisture farm. Mm -hmm. And from a distance, we see Uncle Owen and our protagonist for the movie, one of the most famous protagonists ever, Luke Skywalker. I'm going to be honest. Mark Hamill's acting in A New Hope is not great. But I wanted to go to the Tashi station to get some time, some power converters. He's getting used to it. He, he, he's not great in the movie. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I love Mark and he, he's great in fandom. And but no, I think his best acting is actually in the Last Jedi. Yes, yes, totally agree. I want to be part of that podcast. You just might if you want to do it. Yeah. Oh, I have a devastating story for that too. But um, circling back to New Hope, let's say focus, guys. Um, oh shit, I lost my thought train of thought. God damn it. Luke, Luke. Um. Oh, okay. Well, um, I wasn't this like one of his first films. Like, I think he was in this one where he. It's like a rom com with a car. It's been on film Twitter. I'm gonna try and find the title. I think this is like his second or third movie, so he hasn't really hammered the acting thing. Yeah, I'm trying to see his. Okay. Uh. Yeah, he was in a few TV shows. Corvette Summer. Yeah, and what's crazy is that he was only 26 when he did this movie. He doesn't look 26, holy crap. He looks way younger. He's supposed to be 17, according to the story, right? I think he's 19. Oh, 19. Oh, it is his first movie, okay. Which is how old Carrie Fisher was. That makes sense. She looks like she's 19. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, everybody was very young. So Uncle Owen buys 3PO and originally a red droid until this R2 unit has a bad motivator. <laughs> and it just craps out. It's like a Pinto. <laughs> uh, do you guys support that meme that the red droid is uh, suicide? He, he committed suicide for R2-D2 to complete the mission? Oh, I never heard about it. This is the first time. I saw that meme like four years ago on Facebook and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing you can you can pick everything in this movie and just as i'm sure we're gonna see with the cantina scene with billy i'm the guy that keeps everything on track otherwise this episode would be six hours of talking <laughs> which i wouldn't mind yes especially how amber and uncle owen they look so bad in their 40s it's that that twin sons that has been established the twin sons make you age mm. yeah that's true after they buy the droids. It cuts to black, and then we see C-3PO getting an oil bath and Luke cleaning up the droids. And while he's cleaning R2 and getting acquainted with them, there's a holographic recording of Leia just looping, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. And Luke immediately is like, who is she? She's beautiful. A woman. I must help her. Mm -hmm. I also love that 3PO is in the oil bath. He's just playing with a model of a T-16 fighter, which they mentioned later in the movie that he used to fly. He used to shoot womp rats with his T-16 back home. So basically, he's a serial killer if he kills small animals. Like his father. 
Like his father, yes. <laughs> and on Tatooine. Yes, so Luke knows about the rebellion against the Empire, you know, learns these droids are part of the rebellion, and he figures, huh, Obi-Wan, I wonder if they mean old Ben Kenobi. I'm sure they're not the same person or whatever. I have a theory about the Disney Plus, Disney Plus show. Like, they didn't solo, like a random Imperial guy gave, gave him his name. There's going to be some random guy in the bar who's like, Hmm, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Let's say Ben Kenobi. He's your new ID. Disney, I, I, I can I receive my check, please? I need to pay some debts. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. So Luke is done cleaning them and goes over to drink his blue milk, which you can get now at Galaxy's Edge. Please give, me mo give us money, Disney. <laughs> With that weird spot on the ceiling that's not painted over. And the entire living quarters, it reminded me of like an Adobe. Like not the computer program, like the housing. It, it kind of reminds me of pottery, honestly. Like it's made from clay and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, familiar with it. Yeah, it, it does look like that. And I'm sure that it's built that way to actually keep the the cold inside because it's so hot outside. And that material makes it cozy. Yeah, twin suns, twin suns. You gotta trap all that moisture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially like, uh, I wonder how the roads lead to that place, especially when you get to see a random old woman just asking another girl what her name is. No, not getting there. <laughs> We're talking about the iconic Twin Suns moment where we get to showcase something that we haven't talked about, which is John Williams' score. Oh my god. Amazing. Iconic. To quote Scott Mance. Yeah. Iconic. <laughs> Man. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he does a good Palpatine. <laughs> oh, Billy's really good with impressions. That that scene, man, that, that has to be one of my top three favorite Star Wars scenes. That twin sons looking beyond our protagonist, wondering what's out there, and unknowingly realizing that his whole life has been a lie. And it's like poetry, rhymes. <laughs> yeah, like poetry. <laughs> and uh, so then we, we, we cut to Luke going down by a speeder. And, uh, you know, uh, this is George Lucas, by the way. Uh, that would kill you with the impressions here. R2 ran off to look for Obi-Wan Kenobi in the dead of night. I don't know why he would do that. <laughs> Those astromech droids are nothing but trouble. He's R2. And then we cut to the morning, and Luke has gotten up early with 3PO in his speeder to look for R2 by the sand dunes where mm -hmm. the sand people live, or the Tusken Raiders, to be specific. The Tusken Raiders? And they know they're there, too, because we saw a sniper, and then... <laughs> just riding the giant banthas. <laughs> I cannot do it. <laughs> Which I love that the story behind that is... He had two editors, and they... Originally, the sand person had the, the gaffa stick up. Mm-hmm but didn't go up and down with it. They That was edited. It was just up, and then it, he goes to hit Luke. Mm -hmm. That thing freaked me out. And they keep changing it every, like, re-release. Oh, yeah. Like, Ben just makes, like, this loud, scary-ass noise. Like Max said, scary-ass noise from this hooded person. Then we cut to him touching Luke's forehead, and R2's hiding, by the way. 
and we get introduced to the mentor of this movie, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And his very first line is, Hello there. What brings you then far? Come here, my little friend. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Iconic. And, yeah, and, and Alec Guinness is, is the one that brings it in this movie. I, I'm, yeah. He's, he's great in it, and I'm sure he was thinking, and this has been documented, like, what the hell am I doing here? What's this movie? <laughs> like, uh, that's the thing that gave, uh, like they said, they gave gravitas to the project. Yeah, he was the only established actor that, well, one of two, really. They also had Peter Cushing. Yeah. But at the bigger, meteor role was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh. And, yeah, yes, he's the one that helps propel Luke's journey. No, what do you think, Mike, of the thing that I really, really noticed between the editions of the, when R2-D2 is hiding and that rock is bigger and bigger? And the memes begin. Yes. Oh, yeah, the digital rock. They, um, when I was watching it yesterday, like, they have the, the 4K version, and you can really tell it's not actually there. Like, I forget what the original looked like without the rock. Like, I get it. It kind of hides it more. But damn, does that thing look Especially fake. how the hell Arturito got in it. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Well... We, we've we've learned that he can do many things we don't know about, like he has rocket launchers and the prequels, and then they don't exist in the original trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 how convincing Obi Wan! I was like, oh, I was never an owner of this droid, and R two D two was like, <laughs> asshole. Oh, but how many <laughs> missions did our Obi Wan and R two D two did? In the prequels. I'm sure they ran out of batteries or something like that. Well, <laughs> um, actually, he was Anakin's droid. C-3PO knows that Anakin made him. How come he wasn't being like, yo, Luke, you your dad? That was really important. Well, because of the memory wipe. Yeah, they wiped their memories. Well, they wiped 3 pos memory. They didn't ever wipe R2's memory. Oh, yeah, yeah. R2 knows everything. He's pulling the strings. Well, we all know that oh my God. Jar Jar is the real menace. Oh, Dar Jar Jar. <laughs> Better than Palpatine, though. No, you're, you're not talking about stupid dar, stupid theories. That that guy that bumps his head in the Death Star, that everybody thought that he was Snook. Wait, how? <laughs> yeah, so we cut Obi-Wan's house. Again, it looks like an Adobe. Obi-Wan Adobe. And... We learn through dialogue that he was a Jedi Knight, the former peacekeeper of what was known as the Galactic Republic, and that Obi-Wan knew Luke's father, and that he was the best star pilot in the entire galaxy, and a cunning warrior. And then I love the little moment where he just goes, and he was a good friend. It just, it feels like genuine. Mm -hmm. Like he, he looks back on it very fondly, and... He tells Luke what happened to his father, that he was killed by a Jedi who was a pupil of Obi-Wan's, who helped hunt down the remaining Jedi, and he betrayed and murdered his father from a certain point of view. <laughs> yeah, he's not lying. He's just stating alternative facts. <laughs> Wait, he was J.K. Rowling it? Of course he was. was. It was the 70s. They were on a bunch of shit. They were making it up as they were going along. This is the first time we learn about the Force. Yes, the Force is 
as Obi-Wan puts it, an energy field that penetrates us mm-hmm. and binds the galaxy together. <laughs> this is where I will state that the sexual innuendos in this movie, in this franchise alone, not only the innuendos, but just the genuine sex appeal. My God. Right, no. <laughs> no. No, prequels are way sexy. Yeah, true. True, true. And in this, we get all the innuendos, <laughs> like penetrating people with the force. And the Death Star battle is the worst of them Look all. at the size of that thing. <laughs> it came from behind. Hey, uh, George was horny. It was the 70s. There was a lot of coke. God, my, oh, my mind's going in bad places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I really love what he says. It was like an elegant weapon from a more civilized age. So like poetry, they rhyme. <laughs> yeah, he gives Luke his father's lightsaber. Yeah, that he conveniently picked right after almost murdering him. <laughs> he had the high ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is one of those, like... I'm sure it was a challenge for George to try and piece everything together uh, and just find a way for everyone to pick up the lightsaber and all that jazz. I mean, it must not have been easy. Yeah. And while this is happening, R2 plays the message. Before he had previously been acting faulty, (laughs) I believe that was on purpose. Because it was... A message for Obi-Wan Kenobi, and R2-D2 still didn't trust Luke mm-hmm. at that point. He had literally just met him. And it's essentially an SOS for him to come to Alderaan, which is her planet, and get the plans that are in R2 to the Rebel Alliance to try to defeat the Death Star. And Obi-Wan says, you're coming with me to Alderaan, Luke. And Luke's like, no, I can't do that. And he's like, yeah, you must do what you feel is right, of course. No, um... I really like when he says, for a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were a guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic, before the dark times, before the Empire. Disney. See, I had the trailer of episode three in my head as you were saying that. Yes, yes, Mike. The teaser trailer for episode three. I remember waiting it too low for an hour in my low-ass internet in 2004. Yeah. No, but... That teaser trailer was released in November or December 2004. I remember quick time. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but uh, I really love all of those lines from Obi-Wan because that's the thing, like like a lot of people, me growing up, um, I did like Luke, I did like Han and Leia, but I got too attached to Darth Vader and Obi-Wan so much, especially when I was a kid. In one point, I thought that Obi-Wan was lying. That he was, I thought that he was a liar. During the, the first time I was seeing it as a kid. But when he missed Darth Vader, I was like, oh, he was telling the truth. <laughs> then we cut to what's going to be the main setting of the movie, which is the Death Star. And mm-hmm. all these guys are in a room. They are the Moffs, I believe, and the top dogs of the Empire. One of them that is talking just has the worst haircut I have ever seen on a man. He's the one that's talking with the other guy before Peter Cushing, Grand Moff Tarkin comes in with Darth Vader saying, oh yeah, don't worry about the Imperial Senate. And we see Darth Vader give the line, 
because the one moth is like, oh, we have the ultimate power in the universe. And he says the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the force. And the guy shits on him. So he just force chokes him because he finds his lack of faith disturbing. And and he goes on about how he's faith on the essential religion. And that really proves to us the job that the Empire has done in wiping the memory of the Jedi from the general consensus. And it's not the first it's the first time that happens and then it happens again for the sequel trilogy. And it's just interesting how quickly the galaxy forget. Yes, it's really convenient that they forgot so many things and it almost comes like a story of legend or like a fairy tale. Yeah, I I'm not criticizing it. It's just like interesting storytelling and interesting in its world that the Jedi become so out of the public knowledge so quickly. Yeah, it's also like like making a little joke about Asian religion. I recorded movies on VHS since I was four years old. These millennial children, they don't know. These Gen Cs, they don't know how to record on a VHS. (laughs) I still remember how to do it. Shout out. Do you, though? I mean, you are old. (laughs) Old as Obi-Wan Kenobi, except you you can't grow facial hair. (laughs) You bastard. What? That's just a common fact. Yeah, but also like Pablo says, like 19 years and everything got deleted. It's it's pretty crazy just how quickly the galaxy will turn. Mm-hmm. Then we learn that Obi-Wan and Luke, they stumble across the Jawas that sold 3PO and R2, which then Luke realizes if they tracked them there, which we had seen in a scene earlier, right after they had crashed, they learned where Owen and Brew's home is. So Luke races there, and it's completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. And in a traumatizing scene, we see their burnt corpses. Well, they're skeletons. And Luke just looks on it. He at first turns away, but then he forces himself to watch to fully accept it. So it's little moments like that oh. where no dialogue is spoken that I think are the most powerful in Star Wars, especially with Empire. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Mm, you, Mac? What do you think? Yeah, when I watched it yesterday, I noticed that. I was like, oh, those are straight up just skeleton and bones. I thought as a kid watching it, it was just like maybe like a bag. Billy says like it represents like um, the way that he's in anger and he has sadness that he just lost his, uh, his, his uncle and aunt. But at the same time, he wants justice. That's the way that I see that moment. Especially like those corpses, really hardcore for the 70s. For PG, that's the thing that I miss. Those hard PG movies from back then. Yeah, and then the following scene is when we see we're going back to the Death Star and Darth Vader and goes to Princess Leia's um, uh, cell, and he's giving his own daughter the COVID nineteen vaccine. Yeah, it's nothing. It's not something that you would expect on a kids movie. I know that we're getting rid- getting rid of the evidence. <laughs> we see after that uh, they're burning the Jawas and I think of again Robot Chicken where Obi-Wan is just like oh they're not dead they're just, they just fainted and we see in the background that 3PO is just like oh no because <laughs> they were piling on the, the Jawas and burning them and Luke decides to go on an adventure and this is textbook Joseph Campbell Hero's Journey exactly because George was George Lucas, the creator, was a student of Campbell's, and he understands this cycle of storytelling more than 
people realize. Everybody gives some shit about the prequels, but they don't really understand how smart George Lucas really is. Like how ingrained his mind is with mythology and influence. Because this movie is influenced by many things, including westerns and samurai films. There's a Akira Kurosawa movie called The Hidden Fortress that is literally this movie. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, there's so much uh, from George's career uh, back from his USC days. And he just takes the best out of Flash, Gordon, and Kurosawa, and Westerns. And he brings it to a galaxy far, far away. And I would argue this is closer to a Western film than to a sci-fi film. It's like a fantasy Western. Yes, I totally agree. It's a, it's a science fiction telenovela. For me, Star Wars is a telenovela. <laughs> I love that debate. Star Wars is fantasy, not science fiction. Everything is telenovela for you. <laughs> okay, well, about 60% of Star Wars is soap opera. Yes! Yeah. Yes, Pablo, really? yes! Oh no, no, Billy, you're still holding on! Let go! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll let it slide because it's Star Wars. You're not a you're not aboard the Raylo ship, Billy. No, I am. Just, oh. just be patient. Okay, I get it. I get it. We'll get there. We've been talking for almost an hour. I know. We're not even halfway through it. Yeah, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna try to speed up a little bit of stuff. Yeah. We go to uh Moss Eisley. Oh. We find a wretched hive of scum and villainy. And we get some changes mm-hmm. where Obi-Wan does the Jedi mind trick on the stormtroopers. And the obviously terrible CGI. That's very dated, but George wanted to make it more lively. And I kind of like it. If they updated the effects, it would be fine. And in this cantina, we are introduced to all sorts of creatures. Could you name a few? Yes, what is the Satan one? Uh, I do know that the quote-unquote walrus man that Luke has gets in a fight with, you know, the one with, like, the ball sack mouth. He's called an Aqualish. Oh. Uh, the Cad Bane-looking one, they're called Duros. Nice. My favorite is Figure and Dan and the Model Nodes. They're the guys that are playing the music, and those are called Biths, and they're playing music called Jizz. I'm dead serious. That's what it's called. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, George. In a sexual innuendo. <laughs> They're called jizz whalers. <laughs> oh, yes. The Deveronian. That's the that's the double creature that you're talking about. Yes. So Luke gets in a fight, and not on purpose. Luke is just... Oh, nice, nice, nice. Uh, minding his business, and then this one guy is just like, he doesn't like you. And he's got, like, a messed up face and everything. Obi-Wan... <laughs> Tries to defuse the situation, but it just escalates and he cuts off the the Aqualish's arm, and it's bloody. Later <laughs> in the I do. saga, they retconned it to where if a lightsaber cuts off a limb, it immediately cauterizes it because it's so hot. Mm-hmm. Totally doesn't have a pointless cameo in one of the later Disney films. Ah, you bastard! You you need to remember me that. I will. And we saw before that Obi-Wan was talking to this giant furry carpet who is the best boy, Chewbacca. <laughs> and this is where we meet the best character in the entire movie, at least in this movie. Han Solo, played by a very young Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. <laughs> before he became the Harrison Ford we all know. Oh, my hero. 
And I love this this trope. Uh, I don't really know its name, but I know uh, Ryan Johnson also applied it to Knives Out with Chris Evans's character of introducing this this force of change midway through the movie to take you to a whole other direction. And I think Han works so well being introduced halfway through the movie rather than before because he he changes the landscape for good. I love that you pronounce it Han like Lando. Hey, yeah, Han. <laughs> Han. Yeah, so they're hiring Han, who is a smuggler, to get them to Alderaan because they don't have a ship to get off the plane. And this is the first time he said that they made the castle run in less than 12 parsecs. If you round it. <laughs> oh, my God. And Han is taking this job after Obi-Wan promised 17,000 credits, which is more than enough to get him out of his debts mm-hmm. with... Job at the Hut, which is a gangster that he's indebted to, and they go to meet him up in the landing station, docking bay 94. And this is where we meet Greedo, who is one of Jabba's henchmen. He's a Rodian, and he doesn't speak English. He's all like, Puta kusa solo. <laughs> oh my god. And then we get the classic Western moment where Han is at the table. He's just talking to this guy and we feel the tension that this guy wants to kill him because Jabba's put a price on his head mm-hmm. because he hasn't paid his money. Oh. And then we get the controversial Han shot first. Pablo, you mentioned before we recorded that you have some thoughts, so I want to start with you. Okay. I know it's important that Han shot first. I know it's important for his character, but I don't think it's the biggest issue out of the special editions. I think people, I don't want to say exaggerate, but yeah, they do. They exaggerate. This is, <laughs> there are so much more important things for Han's character than to actually focus on on this so, so, so much. Yes, Han shot first, and maybe he didn't. Who knows? But I'm just trying to order my thoughts because sometimes people get too too clingy about this topic. I'm just gonna get that out of my chest. <laughs> and you, Mac? Um. So back in the day, I think it would bother me, but like, I think it's just a scene. Like everyone has like a favorite movie, and there'll always be like a scene that bothers them. Like Jurassic Park, for instance. Uh, the T Rex scene. There's like a continuity error where when he comes out of like his uh, cage, I guess, and they kind of just flip around and then suddenly it's like a 50 feet drop. Like it's just little things like that. But like, um, I think it's just the way they keep changing it. Like on the, I think the 2011 Blu-ray release, they kind of move on like digitally. Like if you look really hard, you can see him like shift and, um, I don't know, just in my eyes, I, I don't even try and think about it. Like, they both shot, and one guy got hit by a laser, and one guy didn't. So, uh, it doesn't really bother me and keep me up at night, unlike other Star Wars things. So, yeah, doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. Like, for me, uh, I'm not um, I'm not that mad about, for me, for me, Hansha first. But also, like, I don't get, I also don't get so angry about the McClunky thing. Like, he, 
because if I remember the scene correctly, he says McClunky when he dies, right? When Greedo yeah. dies? I think I hate the digital rock more. In the Disney Plus, that's literally all they had. Yeah, and McClunky is in, in the Phantom Menace as well, so you have some uh, narrative co- cohesion there. Wait, there's a McClunky in Phantom Menace? Yes. Yes, a bull that uses it right before the pod race. It's true. Oh, it rhymes. <laughs> and then this is where they added. It rhymes. Exactly. This is where they added a scene that I don't think. I hate that they put this scene in this movie because it totally ruins the reveal of Jabba the Hutt. Oh yeah. In the original movies, you don't see Jabba the Hutt until Return of the Jedi. So you would think, oh, what does this guy look yeah. like? But in this, we see this CGI slug, mm-hmm. and it's it makes a lot of sense when you learn that it's a deleted scene and that the original Jabba was just some dude in a brown coat. It's like <laughs> some fat guy in a brown coat, which is why at the end of that scene when Han says, Jabba, you're a wonderful human being, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> because now, when he says it, he's not a human being. He's a hut. Mm-hmm. He's a giant fucking slug. Yeah, like, <laughs> and they they also added Bubble Fed, right? Not in this movie, no. Yeah, no, he actually walks by. I remember seeing that. I was like, I didn't know you were in the first one. This is a bigger issue for me than Handshot first. Like ending that Jabba reveal that because people were wondering at the time, like, how does he look like? Who's gonna play Jabba? And then you see this thing, to say the least, and you're immediately surprised that he can actually control this hot uh, crime syndicate and it gives it a lot of, of weight to the story so it's a bigger issue for me than handshot first just gonna it say it wasn't that. revealed until five years later when return of the jedi came out yeah and you're always listening like jabba jabba this jabba dad jabba's looking for you and now you know who he is yeah, it builds up his appearance and it makes a lot of sense here it's totally ruined because we know what Jabba looks like now yeah and yes then the whole gang comes together aboard the most iconic ship in all of pop culture the Millennium Falcon and Luke immediately upon seeing it what a piece of junk (laughs) what a piece of junk which you know she might not look like much but she's got a couple tricks up her sleeve. And before this, we see that the stormtroopers had a spy tell them where they were, and they're trying to stop that ship, blast them, (laughs) and they take off, are trying to make their way out of light speed. I love the line where Han is just like, don't worry, I got a few maneuvers. And again, the family guy, (laughs) what what was that? You just leaned lazily to the left. (laughs) That's not much of a maneuver. He's like, yeah, but... We're not in the same spot. I mean, yeah, but it's like pretty minimal. This is where the fun begins. Yeah, and Han says this is where the fun begins. Mm-hmm. I noticed that on a rewatch. I'm like, so that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. And then they make the jump to hyperspace. And it looks weird. I think I'm really used to how uh, the jump to light speed looks in like the newer movies. Um, I mean, I'm not saying the effects are awful like it's basically a masterpiece in vfx making but i think i'm just uh, we've been saturated with um all the new star wars content that you're just so used to what the the present stuff looks like so i was like oh that's how it looks that's interesting 
interesting point of view because like um I like both. Like I don't have a kind of like a preference, but I do like the older the way that the light speed looks, but nothing against JJ because he technically kind of like mix because also JJ did the same thing of how uh, how the enterprise jumps into light speed also and also kind of makes like what he did with Star Trek and he makes it when he did Force Awakens. Okay, let's be clear. Those Star Trek movies are not Star Trek movies. Those are knockoff Star Wars movies because J.J. Abrams was not a Star Trek fan. He was a Star Wars fan. <laughs> yes. I don't know. It's when we eventually talk about Star Trek, we'll get there. Uh, debatable. We'll get there when we get there. Yes, you were reading my mind. Yes. While the Falcon is trying to make its way to Alderaan, Tarkin suggests moving the Death Star to Alderaan because that's where Leia is from, and he's using that as leverage against her to tell her where the Rebels are hiding. It shows how smart these guys are, too. They're not stupid. I mean, the Stormtroopers, you know, they're pretty stupid. They're mindless humans. They can't shoot shit, which makes the line... um, (laughs) Too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial Stormtroopers have this precision. They can't shoot Hilarious. Anything. I was going to bring that up. But yes, they interrogate Leia. She says Dantooine, which I'm like, oh, it's like Tatooine, but with Dant. No, it's actually very different. But Tarkin is just like, anyway, just destroy the planet. And it blows up. And this is actually a nice change of the blowing up the Death Star with the updated effects, I think it looks much better in the special editions than it does in the original. Mm. Cool. Well, I wouldn't know the difference because I have never seen the original, original, original editions, but yeah, I'm I really like also how there. Leia, she immediately goes with the sass with Tarkin. I was like, oh, General Tarkin, I recognize your foul stance when I came, when I came on board. I and you have Vader's leash. I was like, damn, Leia, you're sad. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and and when Alderaan gets uh destroyed like if you watch Revenge of the Seed it's such a beautiful place yes thank you Pablo yes yeah you never think about it and and now with the Mandalorian Alderaan is gaining more and more traction with a character that I shall not name (laughs) but well no we we don't like the actress the character is fine, I think, but I don't. We don't like the actress. Yeah, let's make that very clear. Recast her, recast her with Lucy Lawless. Easy. Yeah. Yes, and Lucy Lawless is just playing Lucy Lawless, who can fly. <laughs> if you've ever seen The Simpsons, <laughs> I had to go there because Alderaan is becoming uh, such an important day, and we didn't realize that with Just a New Hope. It's a straight up authoritarian regime blowing up a planet like it's dark and it's evil and it's beyond the realm of comprehension to just blow up a planet out of nowhere i also like that just sets up stakes to show that the empire doesn't fuck around when it says it's going to destroy something it's going to destroy something including a can you imagine if the death star actually existed and we could just blow up like saturn or something that's insane like oh i woke up feeling angry i don't like saturn today i'm gonna blow it up oh my god you know what uh, i won't blow you up why does it look like energy. a giant boob i don't know innuendo <laughs> it's a giant space boob is what i'm trying to get at it yes so <laughs> while this is happening obi-wan feels through the force that alderaan was blown up he doesn't know what happened but he knows that something bad has happened Mm -hmm. 
as if millions of voices cried out in terror but were suddenly silenced. And we see that Luke is, he's training. Mm -hmm. And he's trusting the Force. Mm -hmm. Doing it blind, by the way, because your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. Exactly. It's a sentence you should not take when you're driving on the road. And they come across an asteroid field, which they don't know is the remains of Alderaan. And Han spots an Imperial fighter and is taunted into chasing it. And we see that this guy is very reckless. He's very gung-ho, very selfish. We, we learn a lot about these characters. Luke is very selfless but naive. Obi-Wan is the wise mentor. He knows all. The droids are mostly comic relief. Mostly 3PO. And then Chewie is just the best boy because he's just a big dog. Because he was based off of George Lucas's Siberian Husky. Oh, cool. Uh, he, he would always sit next to him in the car. And Lucas thought, oh, I should do something about that for this story that I'm making. <laughs> and they get caught inside the tractor beam of the Death Star. And then this is where the majority of the movie takes place on the Death Star. He's heading to that small moon. That's no moon. That's a space station. That's normal. Yeah! That's your mom. And I'm wondering, just throwing it out there, is this the first time that Obi-Wan has been in the Death Star? Yeah, Obi-Wan is... I don't think he's left Tatooine since the end of Revenge of the Sith. I mean, we won't know until the Obi-Wan series comes out. Yeah. I'm gonna... I'm pretty sure that... They're gonna show us another fight between Obi Wan and Vader. I think that they're gonna have a fight, but in kind of like a force time, like Ray and Kylo. Oh, interesting. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. What happens when they get out of the Death Star? Well, first they have to sneak off the ship, and they use the bottom of the Millennium Falcon, which Han says he uses for smuggling, and. Obi-Wan is just like, we got to disable the tractor beam if we're going to get out of here with the princess. Because they got to rescue the princess and they got to get out without getting caught in the tractor beam again. And I love the line that Han is just like, crazy old fool. And Obi-Wan just goes, who's the more foolish, the fool or the fool that follows him? (laughs) Owning Han right there. And then we see Chewie just pop his head up and he's all, and then he's petting Chewie's head. I like that. Because again, Chewie is a good boy. Even though he is much, much older than everybody in this cast, technically. <laughs> so they get some stormtroopers, or they kill some stormtroopers. They take their outfits. They go into this control room, and they determine what to do. Obi-Wan goes out. Luke convinces Han and Chewie to stay after he says that Leia is rich, and he'll she'll compensate them if they rescue her. And Han is like, okay, because we know Han. He's a he's a smuggler. He's very greedy. And then this is where we get the rescue portion. And this is the hidden fortress of the movie. <laughs> what, what do you guys think about all this sneaking around? Uh, if I have to criticize it, I think the, the beat of the movie goes down a little bit in this part. Because I think it's just a lot of walking around. So Lord of the Rings? Oh, oh, we have to go here. Oh, now we have to go here. And we have to deactivate this. So it gets a little bit... Uh, not... Yeah, yeah, I'm going to say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and they say it's like, oh, we have to go here. It's the size of a moon. It will take you a long time. Because 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got a little bit overexcited. No, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, because you you're bringing something really interesting, Pablo. Because I was like, if it's the size of a moon, I was like, um, those elevators have to be really fast. I mean, if we've seen Revenge of the Sith, we know how fast they can go. We'll just retcon it that way. Oh, true. So they take Chewie to the prison. Well, they know where to go because they were in that control room, and that's where they determined, you know, where on the ship everything is. That's where they found Leia's cell number and everything. So they yes, because R two D two use use his decoding penis. <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing. <laughs> he he inserts his penis in there and finds. Uh, uh, we see R two getting laid. Technically, yes. And in that moment, uh, R2 uh, captures all the Imperial information, which then will will play a huge role into the future of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also Obi-Wan says the Force will be with you always. Yeah, that's the moment where R2 gets all the Imperial maps. That's a good point. And he gets the maps of the Jedi temples. So the map that we see in The Force Awakens is not a map to Luke. It's a map to the first Jedi temple, where presumably Luke is. Ooh. So that's how it's different. Yeah, presumably. I didn't knew that. That's pretty cool. Presumably. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like, like Luke just left a map for people to find him. R2 gets that map here. Wow. Oh, yeah, because even in Force Awakens, even Kylo says that it was uh, from the records of the Empire. Yeah, from the yeah from the Imperial records, yeah. So it's all connected. Who is the bigger Star Wars fan now, Raul? Is it me or Pablo? Because Pablo has mentioned some things that I haven't even thought of. That's why we have differing opinions, brother. Yes, but you know that I go with the dramatic, the telenovela side of Star Wars. No, no you're still... <laughs> Holding on, let go. Yes, let go. See, I told you it would be okay. <laughs> All right, so Luke and Han and Chewie, their plan to get to the detention center is to make it look like they captured Chewie because I mean, there's no way Chewie can hide. He's a Wookie. He's over eight feet. And they, I love the moment where Chewie scares the little mouse droid. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's not really needed. But I guess it's just used to convey his size. You barely get caught. Like, how many stormtroopers are in this moon sized space? Two hour movie. When you really think about it, this movie is it's a very simple story and easy to follow. Yeah. Like, we're complicating it because we're going down every single moment. But the overall story, it's pretty simple. Yeah, it's just a simple fairy tale in space. About rescuing a princess? It's a heist film. Kind of is a heist film because they, well, the treasure is Leia. Mm. In more ways than one later, am oh I right, God. boys? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna get canceled. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Sorry. Oh my God. Uh, you were kidding. You were kidding. And yeah, but it's a heist film because they are going, uh, an arrest in a rescue mission, and. They are going into this odd environment. They're really going into the HQ of a totalitarian regime. Mm-hmm. They're killing space Nazis, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Not to forget, the Empire is literally based on Nazis. Some people sometimes forget that. <laughs> yeah, they are 
they're pretty fascist, ruled by a dictator yeah. and everything. Not not a good way. They are called the Empire. Yeah. A lot of red flags. Yes. A lot of them. With a lot of white clothing as well. But mostly gray backgrounds. They like they, they like darker colors. Like gray, black, and white. A lot of boring colors. Where we see in the rebellion we they have colors like orange, red, green, a lot of green. Green. It's that easy to identify, Mark. And during this scene where they're mm-hmm. shooting all the stormtroopers by the in the detention center, we get Han trying to stall time, and he's just like, uh, negative, negative. Uh, we've had a slight weapons malfunction. Situation is normal now here. How are you? Yeah, and they're just like, what are you talking about? And he just uh, shoots the communication thing. Boring conversation anyway. <laughs> Luke, we're going to have company. How are you? That's when he Find screws the princess, it up. And she goes, aren't you a little short to be a stormtrooper? And she's doing this playgirl pose. Well, in this case, playboy pose. And I'm just like, why do you sleep like that? <laughs> Seriously, she's sleeping and she's doing this pose. It's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one sleeps like that. Uh, she was practicing her move because she didn't knew who the hell was gonna open. She was doing the thing from from Fiona from Shrek. Remember that she was practicing how she was gonna be on the bed when whenever the Prince Charming came along and Ben Sure was like, "Wait the fuck up!" Mentions Obi Wan or Ben Kenobi. It's, it's weird. They keep calling him Ben and then they call him Obi Wan. Sometimes I guess it was just whatever felt like in the moment. And then they fight off some stormtroopers, mm-hmm. but the stormtroopers are going out the only way that they can, the only exit. They're blocking the exit. So Leia improvises, and we see that she doesn't dick around either. She shoots a path to the garbage chute. She's just like, into the garbage chute, flyboy. Yeah, and I, and I love this scene because it establishes Leia's character so well. Uh, in a time where strong female characters weren't as usual, uh, she really brings something different to to the table, and that's something that Carrie discussed a lot. How she's not a princess in distress; she she handles the situation way better than Han and Luke. Yeah, yeah, she literally says, "Someone has to save us." So yeah, that establishes a, such a great character. Yeah, she's the one that shoots to the it shoots and opens the way to get to the shoot. So she's the one that it was braver. She was like, "Okay, let's escape that this way." And even kind of was like, yeah, you're insane. And even she was like, I don't care how it smells. Go. Immediately, they just start bickering. They don't stop bickering. Hannah Luke get there to rescue Leia, and Leia ends up rescuing. It's really weird also that Harrison Ford was the oldest of all three of them. He was 33 when they were filming this. Yeah, he's much older than Mark and Carrie were at the time. God damn it. He is a handsome man. I just couldn't stop thinking about that. I was just like, He's pretty good looking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Dashing smile, and everybody likes the bad boy, which is what Han is. He's just this bad boy, and we know that he knows this because his vest is very revealing. We see a lot of his chest. We see, we see that glorious chest hair. <laughs> and he wasn't as grumpy as, as Han in the sequel trilogy is. That's just Harrison Ford. Yeah. He, he, oh yeah, he's you, you can he won't he doesn't care at this stage. <laughs> he he never cared. Yeah, he's just always a grumpy old man. He just hey yeah. hey Harrison. 
Stay away from me. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, they end up in the trash. And while this is happening, I believe Obi-Wan shuts off the tractor beam. Yeah. And during this scene, I love that he just does a little little force thing. And they're like, what's that? And then he just he's sort of running, but he's too old to make it look really effective. Yeah, this is where <laughs> this is where the force run from the Phantom Menace would have been really useful because we we see that one time and we never see it again. Well, we do see it in Empire when he jumps up mm-hmm. from the from the carbonite freezing. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, that's super fast. Uh, fast edit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he'd be like, "Oh yeah, Joaquin force run." Uh, tractor beam, force run, let's get out of here. Oh, before we continue, I almost forgot to mention the one line that they have in every single, at least in the Skywalker saga, I have a bad feeling about this. Do they do it in every one? Like, I know they do a joke one in Rogue One. Skywalker film. (laughs) Or at least in every Star Wars film, there's some variation of I have a bad feeling about this. Rogue One. And then in, in yeah. Solo, they had, I have a good feeling about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in Last Jedi, BB-8, right. Ryan Johnson confirmed that what he uttered was, I have a bad feeling about this. Mm-hmm. You know, when when, when Poe was going up against the Dreadnought, yeah, that, that was what BB-8 said. Because I, I thought that when I saw The Last Jedi, I was like, they didn't say I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> or a very bad feeling about this. But yes, they're stuck in the garbage chute. And they're like, uh, things couldn't get any worse. It's worse. Something like, we, we see this gross garbage monster, which again, in the Family Guy parodies is Meg. <laughs> Just pop its eye up. It drags Luke under twice, but it lets him go because the doors are slowly but surely going to crush them. That's a question that I have since I was a kid. Where did the monster go? Yeah, actually, I don't remember seeing him yesterday. Oh my god, did they take that fucking out? I gotta read Like, uh, what happened to that monster? They actually showed what the monster looks like. Same with the Sarlacc pit monster. Like, what he looks like from the bottom, his body. So it's very weird. I'm just glad that they showed the top. <laughs> and 3PO and R2 have been hiding in the control room this entire time with comlinks on. And 3PO left his comlink on a table to hide in a closet. And while this happens, some stormtroopers enter and one of the stormtroopers in the background hits his head on the door. And I love that they left that in there. (laughs) And 3PO actually manages to convince the stormtroopers out. (laughs) And R2 and 3PO end up going down by the Falcon, do the controls down by the Falcon. While this is happening, Luke, Han, and Leia, and Chewie are all getting slowly but surely smushed to death and we hear just luke just go 3po <laughs> where could he be 3po 3po shut down all the garbage disposals on the detention level that sounded exactly like and that. i love how ctp was like god shut, shut everything down shut everything down and then you hear them not like cheering was like oh my god they're dying it's all my fault <laughs> r2 once again sticks his penis into the control <laughs> Not using protection, though. It was a 70. Well, we know that R2. He's a dirty astromech. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that R2, D2, C3PO, they're, they're, they're a gay couple. We don't know this. 
Atta boy. Well, three PO is for sure. He's the he he's the girl. He 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 is the woman in this situation. <laughs> or the stereotypical one, not like you know, he's he's the Nathan Lane, the Timon to R2's no. Pumba. Because R2 is also the smarter of the two. Good one. Yeah, they're again, you know what? Hero's Journey, Lion King. It's the same thing. Timon and Pumbaa. Same as 3PO and R2. And they're also like Merry and Pippin from Lord of the Rings. Ah. You know, there's always two. A master and an apprentice. Oh. But which was destroyed? <laughs> the master or the apprentice? I don't know. Why is there evil music <laughs> playing? Pretty sure we know the answer. <laughs> but yes, they end up getting out. And... Han alerts the stormtroopers to where they are because he shoots at the creature because Chewie was scared. Mm-hmm. And I love that she's just... Yeah. Again, they're arguing. Han is just like, no reward is worth this. <laughs> and then we get to the very first lightsaber duel. I love it because... I love when Darth Vader was like, because we saw that- I'll be waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is not complete. When I let you, I was about to learn upon. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, Darth. <laughs> and we get two old geezers poking each other with sticks. I love this duel, actually. And and that edit that goes around, I hate Ooh, it. Pablo, yeah, I also like this duel. I don't know why I criticize. Yeah. It's like, these guys are done. They're like, okay, we already had the cool fight. Let's just go straight into it. I want to kill you. Also, because it's also very dramatic. Yeah, the the lightsaber fights in Star Wars are never about the actual fight choreography. People fail to remember that for whatever reason. They just think it's like cool shit, which, again, in the prequels, amazing choreography. But it's the reason behind the fights that makes them so compelling. For this fight, it's not much of a fight, really. And the reason why they did that is because... The swords kept breaking, which was really sad because Al Guinness had worked with swords before. He was he was an accomplished swordsman, theater actor. So you kind of had to. Mm-hmm. But every time that they would hit, they would break. <laughs> and they didn't have much money. The production behind Star Wars is a whole different story, which you can learn about that in the documentary Empire of Dreams, which I highly recommend. It's also on Disney Plus. And in the That's for the two thousand four Trilogy yes. release, That's right? exactly where it came from. Okay. Yeah, and we saw earlier that Vader had sensed Obi-Wan mm-hmm. through the Force, and he was told Tarkin this. Tarkin's just like, oh, no, he's not alive. And he's just like, he is here, and I got to face him alone. This is something that I got to do. Mm-hmm. We had thought that his lightsaber immediately was... Before we even see him, his lightsaber was already ignited, yeah. and it's red, so you know that's bad. And Obi-Wan's is blue to show the light side. And during this fight, Obi-Wan says, if you strike me down, I shall become more, far more powerful than you can possibly imagine. While this is happening, the gang is trying to get to the Falcon, and the they're covered with stormtroopers, but all the stormtroopers are distracted by the Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fight. Yeah, To them, it's probably incredibly strange. Mm-hmm. Considering that they're fighting with lightsabers, which are weapons that haven't really been seen for decades. We know Darth Vader has it, but he's really the only one. Mm -hmm. So we know the Emperor doesn't have his lightsabers anymore. Not that he needs them. (laughs) 
Yeah, but then also we see Obi-Wan's lightsaber kind of like turning down a little by little. And I'm like, Obi-Wan forgot to charge it. Yeah, what, what do you guys think about the lightsaber fight between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader? Um, Kind of back to my thought with the, with the light speed, just with the stuff we've seen now, like um, in the Clone Wars with Ahsoka and Maul, like that's one of the best fight scenes ever. Like there's um, there's a dynamic relationship between the two of light and dark, and um, I just I don't exactly feel the tension, and without like taking all the other movies and stuff, like pretending we've only seen this movie, I really don't understand why Obi Wan kind of just looks at Luke and be like, you know what, I, I've had enough on this in this world. Just it's time to go. Like I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a weird cop out. It's like, oh, okay, we need to give the hero some, um, yeah, kind of inspiration, inspiration for a final battle at the end. Like t- taking all the Star Wars stuff we know out, and just by that, it kind of just seems weird that he just kind of commits suicide. I don't know. You don't. No! <laughs> Feels. I mean, and he knows and, and oh my god, I always go back to The Last Jedi. But it's such a, uh, and yes, it rhymes with Luke's sacrifice during the Battle of Kraid. And just Obi-Wan knows that the Empire will think they have an advantage without him gone without realizing the strength that is growing in Luke. Yeah, I think that Obi-Wan knew that he was going to be close. Because he literally says, oh, he's not dead. Not yet. Yeah, yeah, he knows. He knows. I feel like he he had a vision that he knew he was going to die. He knew he was probably not going to make it. Because he also, I think, is smart enough to know that Vader would be on that ship and that he would overpower him. At the very least... Obi-Wan would have been overrun by stormtroopers if he overpowered Vader. So he sacrificed himself knowing what was going to happen. And he gives them time to leave. And luckily that old man got that tractor beam out of commission. And it wasn't a short ride. (laughs) While Luke is also just like crying and stuff. Or not crying, but he's just moping. He's just like, I can't believe he's gone. One thing as a kid I thought was weird was hearing Obi-Wan's voice just say, Run, Luke, run! I was yeah. just like, what the hell? Where's this voice coming from? My one friend. Yeah. I mean, the Force and all that, but it was still incredible. But Obi-Wan didn't, didn't give him the whole package. He didn't have the whole, like, fast training DVDs, like, for, for Luke, or even the, 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 the books, like, Ray got them, so... He only had, like, two days, maybe, worth of Force training? What if you let that part out? Oh yeah, there's force ghosts, by the way. So if I die, I can still talk to you. I always think of the robot chicken sketch where Leia is just like, Oh, I'm sorry. You just lost your old man that you met, like, today. I lost my entire planet. She totally has a point, though. I mean, she doesn't say it in the movie. She says it in this sketch. Leia handles everything better. She's thinking ahead because she's thinking about saving the galaxy. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but but thinking about it, Leia doesn't even take any time to to weep for Alderaan. She's just like, okay, that happened, what's next? I think that also just shows how mature she is for her age. 
because they always talk about how young she is. Yeah, and I, I, I've, I've like going into the, I, I promise I'm not deviating the the topic, but going into the what if Marvel show, I would love to see a what if Star Wars Ooh. with Je uh, Luke being the prince and Leia being in Tatooine. Mm. I think it'd be a pretty interesting dynamic to see that one day. Ooh, what if they went to, what if Luke and Leia were switched? That's actually a good what if. Yeah, I think that'd be really interesting to have, like, Prince Luke and Leia the Jedi Knight. Yeah, because she does have the Force as well. Act yeah, of course. So it'd be interesting. Yeah, John Favreau, if you're listening, I will help you with the developing of the show. Just let me know. Also, technically, Luke and Han hooking up, that's interesting. That will be some diversity more to Star Wars and Disney. They're not going to. Yeah, let, let's do it as well. Let's do it as well. Not like in The Rise of Skywalker where it's one quick kiss in the background. Pat yourselves on the back. Or like in that <laughs> god-awful remake of Beauty and the Beast where they they made a big deal like LeFou is gay. And then it's only at the very end and it's implied. And it's just like, fuck you. Uh Finn and Poe deserve to be together at the end. We are baiting at its finest. That hunky man Poe Dameron. Mm -hmm. Damn, he is good looking. What? He is? <laughs> yeah, of course he is. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying he's not. And also, Poe is not a narco. Like that thing that they had in episode 9. Yeah. But, but we're getting ahead of ourselves with the sequel trilogy. <laughs> this is where the fun begins. No, this is the part of the movie where it felt like... It was kind of a war movie. Yes. With the dogfight between Han, Luke, and three TIE fighters. The other the other Han line I love is, uh, don't worry, she'll hold together. Come on, baby, hold together. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, they end up blowing them up. And even Han, he gets the sweet spot of the TIE fighter because he hit its engine, which is a very rare shot. That's why it was like, blue, blue, blue. Like more because he hit the, the right spot the eye in the TIE Fighter, which is twin ion engine. Yeah, yeah, and, and Luke is just getting the hold of it. Got him! Great kid, don't get cocky. <laughs> and so they end up on Yavin, the moon of Yavin, which Oscar Isaac was born on this moon, or at least Poe Dameron was, because they filmed, on, they filmed this in Guatemala. Oh, cool. Yeah, Yavin is Guatemala, and that's where Oscar Isaac, that's his heritage. He's Guatemalan. Yeah, yeah, and he, he asked for Poe to have been born there. Oh, that's pretty cool. It was really cool. And we see this, uh, the how the Rebel Alliance is composed of, because we had, a, we had only heard of them. Uh, and here we see that these Rebel fighters are actually quite serious. They are not just rebel cells splattered across the galaxy. They actually have an HQ as well. And they just got the the plans of the Death Star from their friend Jean Erso. Rest in peace. And the rest of Rogue One. Yeah. <laughs> including my boy Cassian. Damn it. You gotta love Diego Luna. Oh. Nothing against Diego Luna. Book of life. Love him. Love him. Mm -hmm. No, what do you think, Mike, of the dogfight? Um, I would say it's a visual effects masterpiece because they got all these elements on the green screen, like the ships and the lasers, and they have to rotoscope all of that and then 
composited on like the the film strips and like some of those shots there's like nine ships like maybe 30 lasers and it all looks pretty good um with the 4k release again you can kind of find like the editing details a bit and like i'm an editor myself so it kind of distracted me a bit but um if if you go frame by frame you can see where you know you know there's 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 like two or three shots of the same thing where the x-wing is going right into the um i'm gonna call it a tunnel the uh the trench and uh, you can actually kind of see the edit point where it goes from the miniature that was built into like another shot um and i think just with the rotoscoping it, it worked out pretty well for sure the visual effects from lucasfilm and well industrial light and sound was really revolutionary because they had to come up with this from scratch there was nothing like it and that's why george lucas went back and re-edited these films with special effects because they didn't tell the vision that he wanted which is why during the death star run we see a shit ton of ships when in the original release it was just it was a couple of ships it was all practical it was all made by hand like that death star trench all those little turrets and stuff that was all made by hand Mm -hmm. which i thought was really cool and we see back to the rebel base we learn the plans of the death star and it has one weakness a little hole that's two meters wide just it's the only exhaust port i suppose which is incredible if it's the size of a moon thank you galen yeah thank you thank you dr hannibal lecter (laughs) (laughs) and that they can only penetrate it (laughs) with proton torpedoes a white light like a white ball yes it's they they can't just blast it with regular lasers they gotta get a white ball thing obviously and they're about to get ready to do this run because the the empire has been tracking the falcon and the falcon landed on the rebel base so they know where the rebel base is like they put a tracker on the falcon and it's on its way so the stakes are pretty high because the death star will blow up the rebels this is presumably in this movie the only rebel base it's the main one yeah their hq and it has been established that the empire will not hesitate hesitate to blow up an entire planet so we have that mm-hmm. we see that han is just going on he gets his reward and he's gonna just go pay off his debts and all that stuff and he's like luke why don't you come join us you're good in a fight we could use you He's grown to respect Luke mm-hmm. as a person. He's not just the whiny kid, even though in this movie he is a whiny bitch throughout the entire thing. And then Han actually grows a little bit of his, as a character when he calls back to Luke and says, "May the Force be with you." So we saw when we first in, when he was first introduced on the Falcon, he doesn't believe in it. And again, Family Guy, where he's like, "Oh, you mean that thing you've just learned about?" It? an hour ago and now you're criticizing me for not knowing yeah no and, and mm-hmm. luke is just like take care of yourself han i guess it's what you're best at <laughs> turns away with his blonde hair which, which changes to completely brown by the end of return of the jedi wee, wee. i guess it's those twin sons he, he also had yeah. a tan. also maybe the shampoo maybe the shampoo was different at the falcon that's why he's Hair change? Maybe. And yes, they are starting to do the battle. R2 is with 
Luke, and then we get a quick introduction to Luke's friend, Biggs, who he did mention before to his uncle. And Biggs, Darklighter, has an incredible mustache. They added this later in the special editions. It's not in the original movie, but he's one of the pilots from the Rogue Squadron. And I I have mixed feelings about this inclusion. I, I guess it makes it to where it makes it more personal for Luke because he's flying with an old friend. But at the same time, it's just sort of shoehorned in there at the last minute. I don't know how I feel. What about you, Gil? Yeah, I, I think it's fine. It gives you some sort of... Okay, again, the stakes. Like, uh, Luke has a friend there. Do you realize that this way, uh, complete nobody cannot simply go into the Rebel Alliance? He has to have some connections, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like he, he's he's with me. He's good. He's good. He's with me. And I don't know. I think it's. I I, I do like it. I. And you also fear for his life, not just looks. You need to have some empathy with these rebel fighters, and having one of mm-hmm. them connected to Luke makes them more than two-dimensional characters. Mac or Raul? Uh, I agree with Pablo. Like, you need some empathy with the the X-wing fighters. Like, again, we haven't seen this be the first time the viewers would be seeing it. So, yeah, I like it. It seems a little out of place, but I get it. It's crazy because there is a bunch of deleted scenes with Luke and Biggs on Tatooine where Biggs is going to go off to the Imperial Academy and become a pilot. But they cut all that because, like, where would they even put that in the movie? It makes it would make no sense. It would just pad out the runtime. Yeah, that's a good point. And I actually really like this whole final battle. We're here. We're almost two hours in, and we are at the final battle. And Wedge Antilles, who is one of the pilots, look at the size of that thing. I just went, that's what she said. This is where we get the innuendos and all the reds. Yeah, there's a fat guy named Porkins. And also that Porkins. That's so mean. I mean, was his name F. Porkins? Am I George? Through this battle, we see just the might of the Empire, how they're just cutting down ships. And we get to see the Y wings as well, which is my favorite ship in Star Wars. They're the they're the bombers. And they're the ones that look like a Y, which is the gold leader and all that. Mm-hmm. And the rebels suffer pretty heavy losses throughout this. Porkins being one of them, R.I.P. Including Red Leader. Mm-hmm. But we also see in this battle that Luke is a pretty exceptional pilot. They built that up mm-hmm. and it's starting to pay off. He is a very good pilot. But that they have a very limited amount of time. I think they said first when the Death Star was doing a countdown, 15 minutes and counting, even though the clock did not say 15 mm-hmm. minutes. And then later, it's like three minutes and counting. It's like, oh my God, this whole battle took place in 15 minutes. Just you got to imagine how fast these guys were going. And around the ship also, like, um, a, like uh, imagine like you have seen the whole 15 minutes in tension, like especially how they're so little rebel ships comparing to all of the amounts of the empire yes we see one trench run and one guy to switch on his targeting computer which will help them you know shoot it one guy ends up trying but it only impacted on the surface and i love the line that big says later to luke when they try he's like luke you think you'll be able to pull out in time (laughs) again the innuendos like it came from behind yeah lots of innuendos So Luke 
Wedge and Biggs all go for the run. This is the final run. If they fuck this up, they're toast. And through this, we also see that Vader and two other pilots have been shooting a bunch of rebel ships. And we see that Vader is also an exceptional pilot. He's not just some big dude in a, in a mech suit. He, he is a force to be reckoned with. Best pilot in the galaxy. Also, technically, this is their first father and son activity. <laughs> Flying spaceships and, and blowing up things. One trying to blow up the Death Star, the other one just trying to blow up his son. <laughs> <laughs> he did manage to kill Biggs, R.I.P. But while we see Luke is turning on his computer, Obi-Wan, through the Force, is like, use the Force, Luke. Just trust in it. And he turns off his computer, and he's just freeballing it. He, he's trusting the Force. And they're like, Luke, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, no, I'm good. And then there comes a moment where... I'm kind of have to nitpick it because Vader's like, I have you now. And then we see that he shoots and then one of the TIE pilot ships gets shot. And then we saw that Han came back because we know that Han is actually a good guy. He's a good person in the end. But the problem I had was Vader already shot Luke. I mean, shit, he shot R2 earlier <laughs> and we see the lasers go out. How did they not blow up Luke? Did they just disappear because we saw he had an accurate shot obi-wan did it yeah beyond the force he stopped the lasers he called to han solo so i was like hey go and save them i do will get more money i could i can i was like oh han solo was like okay you, you know what i meant though i know what you meant yeah, and we saw also that Grand Moff tarkin could have evacuated but he was like evacuate in our moment of triumph <laughs> i think you underestimate the chances and so he's on the Death Star. And Han, let's blow this thing and go home. <laughs> and then he shoots. And then Luke just does a... <laughs> do, do, and while the music is swelling. And then, boom, Death Star blows up. And it's much better here. Mm. Again, the blowing up of planets, oddly enough, is a very good addition to the Star Wars trilogy. Mm -hmm. And that Vader, he survives... Because he just ends up just spinning out of control in a pretty bad way where I think I would just throw up if I were him. <laughs> but we see that he does survive and he will be back. Yes. That really will return in Avengers Endgame. Hey. Darth Vader will return. <laughs> He'll strike back. And yes, everyone's celebrating R2. They think he's dead because he does get fried quite a bit. Hmm. And we even see that 3PO cares about R2. He's like, if I need any parts, just let me know. And then we get to incredible music. Just a round of applause for John Williams for creating the sound of Star Wars. You can't not think of certain scores like Luke looking at the sunset, binary sunset. I think binary sunset is one of the most beautiful songs ever made for a movie. You can't do better than the opening theme to open your movie. What do you guys think of John Williams' score? <laughs> Sorry. Bless you. That's what I think about John Williams' score. It's amazing. He deserves so much credit for it, and he just blew it out of the park. Great. Great job with the, with the score. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Like For me, my favorite... 
part of like the whole scoring in in, in Star Wars in the original is when you hear like dun 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 like uh, the whole tension like that he got the 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 shot in and you see Tarkin was like oh my god we're almost about to win and then you see dun dun and boom 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 like uh, and then it also goes into harmony like boom 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 that's the thing that I love I like about John Willis he can like makes so many instruments so well and it goes so great with the story and the scene and in enlightens the scene so well yeah yeah and if if you want like to dive really really deep into the star wars soundtrack and score make sure to check out the soundtrack show with david collins he he does some job some work at lucasfilm uh, mainly for uh, sound voiceovers and music for for a lot of things. And he goes into what every beat means in the Star Wars score, like those happy sounds, how to create tension, uh, how to express a foreign object entering, like this uh, space destroyer. And it's a really, really great show. Shout out to David Collins in Soundtrack Show. Nice. And we come to the very, very last scene of the movie where Han and Luke, but not Chewie, get medals for heroism during the final Death Star battle. And honestly, if I ever get married, this is the music that I would want after I say the vows. When I'm walking from the aisle, I want this soundtrack. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious. And I've thought about the exact same thing. Because it's, it's a little similar to the traditional marriage song yeah it's very triumphant mm, yeah. a little bit yeah and people will be like oh what is this and then when i pull out my kylo ren cloak they will know what it is yes <laughs> and yes and he ends the movie with a roar and that's the movie we covered star wars not yeah. literally every single thing but Ooh. we covered quite a bit and it's almost two hours this is gonna be. This is gonna take a long time. This is probably gonna take a week. Yeah. Okay. I I knew this would happen. I'm so sorry, Billy. <laughs> and for anyone that stayed the two hours, thank you so much. Oh yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you so much. You are brave warriors, just like the rebels that destroyed the Death Star. <laughs> so, what do you guys think on a scale? Well, any any closing thoughts before we rate this thing, and then. You know, do all the plugs. Uh, I'm just going to say, great film. This should be your introduction to Star Wars. That's what always sticks with me of A New Hope. If you've never seen Star Wars, mm -hmm. watch A New Hope and you will get the feel of it. The tropes, the general idea of where this saga is going. So this is a great entry point uh, into this universe. Um, for any like filmmakers, like at film school or something, it's definitely a good film to add to their um vocabulary, I guess, with the effects and the scoring and um, like I know some people be like, oh, the special effects are better in the modern ones, but like sometimes older movies look better than some of the CGI crap fests we have now. Um. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. It's a good starting point for fans, um, or like I guess newcomers. I would say it's it's a good movie. That's I don't think I would put it in like a top mm -hmm. 
10 or 50, but that that's just like my personal taste. Um, but I have no, not a lot of faults with it. Like it's a good time. It's entertaining. Um, one of the perfect summer blockbusters. All right. Anything else? Um, for me, uh, I, I adore this movie since 24 years ago when I, the first time I saw it in a theater in 97, uh, is the movie that made me curious about film when I was little. Because exactly when I got out from the movie theater, my mother told me, I was like, uh, do you have any questions about the movie? I was like, is the force like fate? That was my first time that I ever got kind of like a big question about a movie. And I tried to overanalyze it. And even my mother was surprised, me at eight years old, uh, going to that that part of the movie. I was like, well, it's kind of like, uh, she didn't know a lot of us. I was like, it's kind of like what George kind of like trying to say. Like, it's kind of like a mixture of like Christian, Catholic, Buddhism, and many different religions. And so, and I remember when I, so when I got out and asked her that question, she told me there's, there's two more. And I was like, oh, cool. And that's the thing that I, that, uh, for me, Star Wars is a thing that made me interested in so many things. Like, uh, I discovered about, like, like, uh, like you said about Empire of Dreams years later, how Star Wars came to be, how George Lucas, the way that he writes. Also, because if it weren't for this movie, we, don't, we didn't have the special effects that we have today. The sound, editing, uh, camera, there's so many things that, that got created because of this film. And for me, a lot of people always, uh, there's a lot of people that still bully George Lucas because of the prequels. And I'm like, you have yeah. to thank him because all of the cinema that you love today, Marvel, DC, etc., is all because of him. That's why I adore this movie a lot. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna piggyback off of you and just say that uh, I don't know a world without Star Wars. It captured my imagination at a very young age. Nice. Really this moving. is the first film in the franchise I ever watched. And I guess it didn't really matter if it was special edition or not. The point being, it brought me into this world and made my imagination run wild. I have a lot of great memories, and I know for a fact that there are millions, probably going to be billions of people that also feel this way. Because that's the power of storytelling, and George Lucas did an incredible job capturing our hearts, What asking these very complex questions, but doing it in a way that kids and adults can understand it. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of the most influential films ever made. And I'm not speaking hyperbole when I say that. It's a common fact. It's a common fact for a reason. And so with that, I'm going to rate this movie... I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but it's my favorite of the original trilogy. Like, in terms of personal ranking, I'm going to give it a 10. But as a film itself, I'm going to give it a 9. What about you guys? Oh, I have to give it a number? Well, just like, if you want. Okay. If you, if you don't want to, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I thought that I was going to, like, rate it in my Star Wars list. But, okay. That would be great. Okay, so this film is, so should I go like with my list until the point a new hope shows up? Yeah. Best one, Empire, then Last Jedi, then Revenge of the Sith, 
this is probably my fourth favorite Star Wars film. Or fifth. Sometimes I switch between The Force Awakens and A New Hope. But it's in the upper half of the list. All right. Uh, Mac? Um, so, are you guys familiar with uh, uh, William Bibiani and like his grinding system? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Okay, good. So, basically, high C plus is great. Uh, C minus sucks. I would say Star Wars would be a low C plus. Nice. For me. And for me... Ooh, uh, for me, this is still my favorite Star Wars. It's still my favorite Star Wars movie because it's the, like I said, it's the one that started it all. Uh, for me, it's, it's an 11. All right, guys, that wraps up probably our longest episode to date. Just wait till Revenge of the Sith. Oh, masterpiece. And you can find me on Twitter at BeeBusterBill. All the Bs are capitalized. You can find me on Instagram at Billy Batson's Lightning. Nothing is capitalized. You can follow the show's Twitter at SYNSPod. You can also give us a review and like on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, wherever podcasts are heard. Where can they find you on the socials? Mainly, I just use the Twitters. Uh, I'm at CinemaStud. Um, I'll do reviews every once in a while. It's kind of been hard because, you know, the theaters are down. Um, but I'll always retweet film twitter jokes and uh news and all that jazz add me to your film twitter arsenal that'd be cool okay you can find me at el machas that's e-l-m-a-c-h-a-s on twitter and you can also find my podcast nerd portraits i just dropped a new episode yesterday i'm not sure when this is going to be out but i had the pleasure to interview brandon davis from comicbook.com we had a little chat about what goes into creating a quarantine watch party, uh, uh, his world, his journey in the pop culture sphere, and going from fan to reporter in the entertainment industry. So make sure to check it out. <laughs> nice. And for me, you can find me at Raul Vader RDC on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Letterboxd, and Stardust. And also you can follow, like Billy said, our podcast at SYNS Pod. And as always, see you next summer. Dun, 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 dun. I got you into it. You're welcome. Brave Alliance of Under. Oh shit! No, this is a this is a long one. <laughs> oh my god! No. Okay, now I got it. It's it's got the track. That has to be the intro for this episode. Okay.